Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, The exclusion of the weak and insignificant, the seemingly useless people, from everyday Christian life in community may actually mean the exclusion of Christ. For in the poor sister or brother, Christ is knocking at the door. Today, I am joined by Mrs. Angela Ward. Angela, welcome to the Little Church. Thank you, David. I'm so honored to be here. <laughs> it's really good to have you here. Um, for those of you who do not know Angela, she is the Director of Arts at Pacifica Christian High School, where I also work. And Mrs. Ward is a seasoned teaching professional, not only of the theater, but of history, which is her other specialization. She has a Master of Fine Arts from the University of Tennessee, Bachelor of Arts in Communication from Auburn University, and she recently, well, pretty recently, 2018, uh, was the recipient of the prestigious James Madison Fellowship Award uh, for her work in, uh, in U.S. history. And she has also received, I am told, an award for California's Outstanding Teacher in Theater by the Lieutenant Governor's Office. Angela, I don't even know how many things we could add to this list because that was me just doing the abbreviated version. But welcome once again, and thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, the subject, though, is not history. The subject is not theater, uh, although I hope you will come back to talk about <laughs> both of those things because I know you are passionate about those interests. But the subject actually today is in some ways maybe a little more personal, and it is the subject of adoption. So um, we had talked maybe a month ago, maybe a little bit longer ago, about your story, about um, your family, and I was just so sort of inspired, moved, um, and again, I knew you as the theater lady, and I knew you as the U.S. history lady and the Shakespeare lady, <laughs> but when you told me the story of yourself, um, it just added a, a, a dimension that um, I did not know before, and uh, I really wanted other people to hear that story. Where would we start in the story of Angela? Well, thank you for asking <laughs> about the story of Angela. And this is my um, testimony and my mission hmm. to to share this story. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I thank you so much. Um, I I was raised in a Christian home. I, was, uh, I grew up in the Episcopal Church hmm. and was educated in Catholic schools. So my first experience in the public sector was at the university. Um, but having been in theater, that's a quick introduction into very gritty worldliness. Right. There's not a large population, <laughs> we as go. we know, mm. in, um, in theater and in all forms of acting, film mm. and television. It's, it's a rough industry. Um, however, the Lord has walked faithfully with me when I was more and less faithful during all of those mm. seasons of my youth. I married my husband very young. I met him when I was 19 in a production of Richard III. Oh, cool. And God is so good. Um, my husband is a preacher's kid. Mm. He, he's the son of a Baptist minister. He was third generation. 
And so I met him, unfortunately, during one of his um, seasons of being the stereotypical preacher's kid and sowing rebellious or whatever yes <laughs> but he was you're i'm worried about my own children yeah go ahead but but it's will come around no need because he was just lo- he was just He's a wonderful lovely. human being yes. his, he we immediately connected and so what god has joined together let no man separate Amen. and i've been really grateful that the Lord, through all of our foibles and misadventures, the Lord has been so faithful to use our mistakes to bless and teach us. Hmm. And so it's been a beautiful journey. And that is a big part of my story is that my husband and I have been spiritually um, guided on parallel journeys, which is part of the adoption story. So it is a, a real blessing to be equally yoked in your mate and to always put your marriage first after God. Yeah. And as you say, getting married at 19, the story of those of those years is very much, and this is what is so special, I think, in part about your story is is the strength of this marriage and the and what it has weathered and how you've sought the Lord together. So 19, you are you're in the world of college, you're in theater, you're becoming a professional actress, is that right? Yes, and I need to clarify. Okay. We, um, I, we didn't marry until 22. Okay. But yes, he's a, a few years older than sure. I am, and he graduated. He's three years older than I am. But yes, we knew that our um, our reality was just going to be non-stereotypical. So after college, I was a working actress, and the first three years of our marriage, we really didn't even live together. We were apart more than we were together mm. because I was acting and uh, and working and and doing regional theater and and different parts of the country and things like that and then I moved to New York for my job opportunities and he moved to Tennessee and so um, he lived with his grandmother and paid my rent in New York what kind of a man (laughs) man. is that good man his mom and dad were also in Tennessee and uh, we we he would come visit once a month and we would have marriage counseling uh, with my Episcopal priest and attend church and it worked, but we realized if our marriage was going to survive, we couldn't sustain that. And so we made a deal. I would go to graduate school in Tennessee if he would immediately move back to New York with me okay. after graduate school. A little bit school. of Tennessee and a lot of, yeah. lot of bit of New York. <laughs> so that's what we did. <laughs> okay. um, I went and got my graduate degree in Tennessee because he had a lovely job there. He worked to effect a transfer to New York, which he did. And awesome. so after grad school, we went right back to New York. And it was just sort of funny. He always tells the story of we'd been there less than a year when I really realized I wanted to have a baby, but we'd been married seven years. I was mm-hmm. 29 at that oh, okay. time, and I'd been working. I was an acting union. Grad school. One of those few people that yeah, actually yeah. You know, made a living that way. You were doing it, yeah. And we had our first child in 1993, December wow. of 93. And so that certainly changed everything. Prior to becoming a mom, I, I wanted definitely to make my mark in the world. I remember we were having dinner with some friends who had a baby and I said, oh, I want to have a child sometime, but I really feel like I've just got to change the world first. And she looked me in the eye and said, that's what I'm doing now. Oh, as a mom. As a mom. Nice. So that was really a cool moment for me. Um, I didn't realize how much it was speaking into my life at that time because I had not wanted children particularly. Mm. They just weren't on the horizon. 
I was an animal rights activist. I was a vegan. I was very involved. You're in, busy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but just not called to yeah. parenthood at that yeah. time. So um, I actually, I did lots of trade shows. I was... Um, Anyway, I was Barbie at the toy fair and things like that. Like many, when you're not acting in a show, Working you're doing all kinds actor. of industrials or other things. <laughs> yes. So I was actually planning to return to work when okay. my child was eight weeks old. And, you, you know, it was an acting Right back gig. to it, yeah. But he was born and that changed everything. Mm. Everything. Um, my husband has always believed really strongly in my dreams. And so he really always put my vocation over his own. And so I did like the New York Renaissance Festival. I, I did Merry Wives of Windsor. And I had some acting jobs that we decided we would move forward with. But he took off work. And so he would wear my little, he'd walk around New York with our little one in um, a carrier and then bring him to me so I could nurse him. And we just made it work. Like while you were on, yeah, like while I between. was working, <laughs> yes. And so my last um, professional acting job of any, of any scope was when, it was about 22 years ago when our second child was six months old. Mm. So it just wow. changed everything. I realized I wanted to be home with my children. Um, God really started changing our hearts even during our pregnancy. And he's so good um, and so kind. We had really beautiful birth stories. We were really blessed um, with beautiful births of all of our children. We now have six children. Whoa. But um, <clears throat> we decided that for us, the right option was home birth. Mm -hmm. um, it was an informed decision. We later became childbirth educators, and I, that meant I was a, a labor support right. person. We went through that, that educational process. But for us, I was extremely healthy. Um, I was relatively young. Um, it, it was possible to have certified nurse midwives and a doctor come to the house with your home set up like a level one hospital. Cool. And it was just a beautiful experience for us. While it, it's birth is still birth, ours were very easy um, mm, relatively. I wow. mean, once the baby was born, it, it was just a lovely moment having these really healthy home births mm -hmm. as part of our story. I didn't realize how lucky I was to have those healthy mm. births, and I really attributed lots of it to my own, um, just my own intelligence and care because of the way <laughs> I ate, and because of, and I knew that my children were going to be just happy, healthy, and well sure, adjusted perfect. because we were, you know, I, I only, I belong to an organic farm co-op <laughs> and I ground the brown rice for their brown rice yes. cereal. I nursed oh, according man. to the international average, which is four and a half years. Wow. I homeschooled. And of course, you this know, is, this is crunchy <laughs> stuff. Crunchy, but of course, you know, the Lord just doesn't put up with us <laughs> that with any, any sort of undue pride. Not that those aren't wonderful and legit sure. choices. Sure, they were sure. great choices. However, I thought that I was insuring my children against something that is uninsurable, except mm. in the hands of Christ. So when our first child was 13 months old, and I mean, I was just euphoric, this at-home mom. Again, everything was organic, and he was just... He was just the center of our world. His ear started sticking out. And we took him to the pediatrician, and the pediatrician was really patronizing and said, well, both of his ears stick out. But something didn't <laughs> seem right. Hmm. So for six weeks, his we were dealing with this, and I, I was able to see that something was wrong. I knew something was wrong. And so 
ultimately, after multiple courses of antibiotics, the doctor said, I'm going to send you to Children's Hospital Philadelphia because he probably it's probably just an infection of the mastoid bone, overnight uh, antibiotics, he'll be home the next day. But I knew it was, I just something knew was that up. it was something else. Yeah. So, of course, we got to Children's Hospital, and within a minute of looking inside his ear, the otolaryngologist said, it's a tumor. It's either cancer or a disease called histiocytosis. Wow. And we have to operate right away. Wow. So I had no time to process. And he, he went into surgery, and the tumor had indeed grown to destroy his mastoid bone and was sitting on his brain. Oh, but my husband and I... I am so sorry. That's I'm, right. We, we can edit this. I tried to turn this off. No, this is real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is. <laughs> you are in demand. That's what's happening. I'm sorry. It's actually, <laughs> yeah, there. My phone is now turned off. There you go. At any rate, um, we had been praying so ardently that it wasn't cancer. Mm. I mean, that it would just be this histiocytosis, which we knew some, nothing about. And so when the doctor came out and said, it's not cancer, it's histiocytosis, I thought, oh, praise the Lord. Thank you so much, Lord. Be we knew nothing about the disease. Right. And then we found out when the oncologist sat across from us and said, Oh, if this were only cancer, oh, geez. we could treat it. So yeah, this was that. an orphan disease. Um, mm. It was considered rapidly fatal at the time of our son's diagnosis. Wow. And the, um, the treatments were often as toxic as the disease itself. And so, in fact, another little boy that was going through this journey died from the same treatment protocol that saved our son. Wow. But there's no cure. Um, and, and it was a rough, rough journey that created a lot of questioning with God. <clears throat> Excuse me. We were still, we always walked with God, but I was very angry for years um, with God. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I did not have understanding about why this happened. I tried so hard to do everything, everything right, and yeah. we got the orphan disease. It's not genetic. It's not hereditary. And our child was on chemo for six and a half years probably wow and got every side effect that was dangerous that you didn't want to get so the result is this <clears throat> excuse me this little person was on uh, chemo but also all kinds of pills and two shots and nasal sprays that had to be taken every day or he would die. Wow. And one of my favorite stories now, in retrospect, is when we we were very protective, but we um, let him go to teepee camp. And so he was maybe in about sixth or seventh grade when this happened, maybe sixth grade. So they went up the mountain to teepee camp, and we were so scared. And then we realized one of his medications, it was one pill we had forgotten to put in the backpack. So I called the endocrinologist and said, he is at the top of the mountain. It's only his nighttime dose. Can we drive up to the mountain in the daytime in the morning to give him this pill? And the, endocrinolo the endocrinologist said, absolutely not. It's life-threatening. You've got to drive up to the mountain now. So we get in the car, and we drive up this mountain, and we get there, and the youth pastor was just so sweet, said, Powers is just doing great. He's been telling the kids in the teepee Bible stories, and I thought, oh, that's my boy, until a boy walked out of the teepee and said, oh, hi, Mrs. Ward. Powers was just telling about us about Lot's daughters. Whoa. <laughs> so, <laughs> that is rate, a, that's a deep yes, cut. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Homeschool, you know. Homeschool, you cover all the <laughs> yeah, bases. <we> cover. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, at any rate, 
Um, <laughs> so I did not understand. I, I really didn't. And I would threaten God, if you take powers, I'm killing myself. I could oh, not. Man, yeah. You know, it was just <sighs> such a hard road. And yet God was with us. And of course, during the healing services, we're going up for healing and we're praying for healing. And that healing just doesn't happen. Um, powers survives, though, where other people don't survive. And power seems to defy all kinds of odds. Can I just ask Powers? Yeah. Where does the yeah, name that's Powers? My never name. Heard. Okay. That's my name. I wanted to name him okay. for my father, but my dad hated his first name. And so we named him my last name. So Powers. Oh, okay. And it suits him cool. very well. So that's Powers. But he, um, it's really been a journey. And, and as parents, as parents, we really, truly are almost not we are the hands and feet and the voice of God in a more um, intense way than I think in any other role as Christians because we have to fight on so many different levels for our kids both spiritual and and physical Mm -hmm. and I have been threatened uh, more times than I can describe by healthcare practitioners that wanted to do a protocol or to Mm. force me to do something Mm. and I wouldn't do it. And I remember at Children's Hospital Los Angeles, they wanted to do a test on my son to see if he needed growth hormone. Well, he was 12 years old and he was the size of a six-year-old and his pituitary gland was entirely non-functioning. So we knew he needed growth hormone already. I had met a mom whose son had had this test that they were requiring in California at this time before you could be put on growth hormone, and mm. the boy coded. It's it's a, a, a side effect of the test is that your heart could stop, wow. and he had to be um, defibrillated. Mm. And she said, don't let them do this to your child. Mm. And so they were pressuring us because he did need the growth hormone. Sure to grow, to function, he'll need it the rest of his life. And I said, we want the growth hormone, but we're not going to do this test. And she threatened me with social services. But I was able to, I kept in touch with his endocrinologist at Children's Hospital Philadelphia. And I called her and she said, oh, don't worry. She had a good friend at Children's Hospital Seattle and Washington (laughs) where they did not have this requirement. Mm. And so we just switched hospitals and we somehow had the money every three months we flew to children's hospital seattle for his care so his oncology care was at chla but his other care was at children's hospital seattle but what bob and i were being trained in that we didn't realize is that i became very comfortable in a medical setting and i we had so many specialists that i learned lots of um medical terminology Mm -hmm. i had no fear of needles no fear of of icky, messy procedures. Right. Just we we just became very comfortable in those sorts of environments, and I didn't realize how important that would be at this time. We just suffered, 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 and but we knew we wanted more children. And well, now you're talking uh, about 12 years old. Uh, yeah. Are there other kids yet? So yes. Okay. So, and w- before yeah. and before that, you also were saying that as parents, almost more than any other sort of in the most intimate way. Um, representing or being sort of the presence of the Lord for your kids, right? But then you had also said that you were so angry with God. How did you manage raising him in the things of the Lord with your husband while you were so angry with the Lord? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. It's the wonderful thing about God that 
we have the book of Psalms, right? I mean, mm. we can cry out to him. Yeah. And, and his presence was so very strong. And I, I, there, there are miracles that just occurred throughout this process that were undeniable, small ones and large ones. But it's only through him that we were able to just function. And so I knew that he was with me and I knew that he was listening. I think I was just angry that it wasn't going my way. Sure. But he was he's just so everlastingly faithful and kind. And what did I miss out on and what issues did our family have because of my reluctance to learn or to achieve a peace, mm. you know, but it just we just can't. But you, but you managed it. with your husband. You managed oh, yeah. to present to powers. God is good. Oh, God is loving. Yes. Right. Powers I mean, loves the Lord. I mean, yeah, that, the Lord, because we've depended on Him so much. Right. If you, he will. If you cry out to Him, be very careful because He's going to answer and right. He will take care of you. And we wanted a God-centered right. marriage, and we wanted, but I think that maybe we were too hedonistic to just choose it without having to have some severe mercies. Mm. I don't know. But at any rate, when Powers was three, he was still on chemo off and on, but he was just a great, great joy to us. And we knew we wanted another child. Mm. And so we had our second child and he's a beautiful boy that's 22 now. And so his name is Britton Ezekiel Ward and we call him Zeke. He was named for Ezekiel in the Bible. Um, and, that was when he was three years old. Then we had another child, and that was a little girl named Isabel. And then when Isabel was three years old, we had another little child named Titus. Wow. So throughout so all of the stuff going on with Powers, you're having kid, a new kid every few family, years. Yeah, you're right. building that family. And there's a very special relationship between all of our kids. And all of our kids um, understood, they grew up understanding that Powers was fragile. And so they grew up knowing that and accommodating for that and right. loving him. And on the other side, what does he provide? He provides this patience that you can't have unless you've endured a lot of suffering right. and a goodness that is from the Lord. Um, for so, your children, for you, for your family. Right. And so and our kids, all of our kids, thank, thank God, follow God and love God and have from an early age. And... And at any rate, this sounds crazy. And we were the least, we were the least likely people to adopt children because Be I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. pause right there. Okay. And I just, were you afraid after having powers that baby two, baby three, baby David. all this stuff? Like, how did you get? <laughs> I was you? gonna skip this Sorry. this little story, but yes, I was afraid. But the funny thing is, this is oh gosh, lightning never strikes twice. That's a falsehood. It strikes. It does strike Many twice. Times. Exactly. But we thought, well, this is just, lightning doesn't strike twice. We're going to be so okay. We'll be fine. So we got pregnant with the second one. Before Zeke was born, the midwife was saying, this is going to be your healing angel. And that was true. Yeah, yeah. He really has been. Yeah. However, when he was born, he was perfectly healthy. Everything was wonderful. But when he was 24 hours old, I was calling a friend to tell him, he's here. Mm -hmm. And he turned blue right in front of me and stopped breathing. And so we had to call the paramedics and powers. I still remember. He's like, my baby, my baby. Oh, my gosh. And um, it was awful. I It was so 
awful. I put him, you know, he was, Bob was holding him and I ran outside to get the ambulance. That was pre-Powers medical stuff. Now I would be in there with the kid and Bob would go outside, you know. (laughs) But at that point I was just so horrified. He just was blue and he wasn't breathing and it wasn't good. And so the ambulance came and he started breathing again on his own, but he had terrible asthma for the first four years of his life till we moved to California. But he's 22 now, and he just ran a half marathon. And wow. he's just so, so, so <laughs> healthy. But that was really low. That was a low point. Right. Because lightning does strike, strike twice. And so when he was a baby, you know, we had these breathing issues. Um, and it was hard. And so why did we have a third one? <laughs> because lightning can't strike three times. Yeah. We just knew that we we knew that we loved parenting. Yeah. We knew that children are a gift from God and the hope of the world. And just selfishly, we loved it. Yeah. And so we had our little Isabel, our little girl, and she has really truly been healthy. Hey. No illness. And then we Praise had our Lord. fourth, and that's our Titus, and he has been healthy. There are I no know guarantees. Titus. You yeah. do know He's Titus. He's very healthy. <laughs> He's a good guy. <laughs> Thank you. He very good feels guy. very mutual. He respects <laughs> you so much. But at any rate, so we had four children, and I felt like someone was missing from the table. And so we okay. Yeah. So now, are you? I mean, homeschool land is a different land. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. There tends to be you know bigger families, yeah. right? Christian land, conservative land. There's lands. Well, we didn't. We remember, maybe you're not conservative land. Yeah. But I mean, we. <laughs> you're vegan land. You're well, you're animal rights land. Not at this point. Okay. So that was all part. It's funny because that was part of my journey. I think. I mean, you. That was part of my journey is feeling compassion and stewardship for the vulnerable. Hmm. And at that level of maturity, it manifested itself with a heavy focus on animals. I, I still love animals. Sure, and sure. I'll, I will probably become vegetarian again. But we went from vegan. When powers came, we went from vegan to vegetarian. And then, you know, as um, as money became tighter and and nutrition became more important. And Mm. I know there are some vegans that would take issue with me, but the point is I did not have the bandwidth when I'm dealing with growing children and chronic illness to focus on um, veganism. For me, a well-rounded healthy diet. (laughs) Right, right, right. But um, I will tell you, yeah, we homeschooled and we were in a very diverse homeschool group, different um, faith traditions. And so it was wonderful. It was very dear friendships formed across the spectrum. Um, Did they yeah. think you already have four kids? Like no. Or is it like oh yeah? No. <laughs> like I mean, you weren't. Like, I guess I'm wondering. Like was this you and your husband? But like family or other people were like, geez, you already have a lot going on there. Yes, but- our family was. <laughs> our family was. Not yeah, our family right. was okay. surprised. Right. And I don't I don't want to say horrified, okay. but yeah, our family. I mean, I will just yeah, you know, my I, it was shocking that we had home birth. It was shocking right, we right, became right. vegetarian. Right. It was shocking that we kept having children. Right. It was yes. You were regularly shocking. We to your were family. very different. <laughs> Bob and I are the very different ones in our family. Well loved by our parents, but yeah. But you but and then you, what you the way you said it is so is so interesting and so beautiful that someone was missing. Like it was that particular. Yes. Where people will say like, "Oh, I always thought I'd have like five or six or I remember when Lisa and I had uh, John and then we had Violet, people would be like, "Oh, one of each. Like you must be done. Like it's this designer thing. You went to the mall and you picked out a boy, you picked out a girl." Like that it was just sort of, I don't know, the way people think about designing or planning a family. Um, but the way you're talking about it is someone 
a person was missing that was supposed to be there. Yes, and you have to remember your statement recalled the Jewish proverb, man plans, God laughs, right? So (laughs) this is another instance in this faith journey of severe mercy and Mm. paying the price for your education, and the price is of a spiritual education is often pain, right? C.S. Yeah. Lewis says, God shouts to us in our pain. Right. So at any rate, um, we prayed and we got pregnant and we were very excited. And um, so it was child number five, wanted, you know, and we were planning another home birth Ready, and yeah. in California and happy. And, and one day I just woke up and this is not, I am not a superstitious person. I don't have a lot of faith in my own hunches or instincts. Mm-hmm. I don't, but I woke up this morning and this one morning and I thought the baby is gone. And I was in my second trimester and I was just really so concerned that I called Bob at work and I said, I know that the baby's gone. So I called the OB's office and said, I think the baby's gone. I, I know I was there last week and heard the heartbeat, but I'm I'm really afraid. And they said, come in. We'll do an ultrasound to reassure you. So I called my husband, Bob, and he met me in the parking lot and took the other kids to go swimming and, you know, play while I went in to have the ultrasound. And I expressed to the technician exactly what I told you. I said, oh, I'm just so afraid the baby's gone. And the technician said, oh, sweetheart, the baby's not gone. And then there was this pause, and she said, oh, no, I think it is. And I looked at this beautiful picture. It's framed in our bedroom right Mm. this minute of this perfect little baby that was completely still and not moving. So the doctor said I had to, uh, it would be really wise to have, I needed to have a DNC right away because of my unique situation in that I I was home with four kids and— a miscarriage could occur at any time and it would be a large event and yeah. painful and yeah. probably hard for everybody. And I had a real issue with that because we were very pro-life and mm. it was, it was just so difficult. Yeah. Um, I will tell you also, I am a big fitness fanatic. That's a part of my life, athleticism. And so I taught classes at this really lovely health club but it was more than a health club it's sort of a (laughs) it's 18 acres in claremont california and it's just this beautiful beautiful place and i had i had been teaching there and i had just announced my pregnancy uh monday and then this happened like thursday at any rate that's important because i i went in for this dnc which i didn't want to have because i was so afraid that what if is there any chance this child is alive and they assured me that there wasn't, and I, uh, Titus had a, a sinus infection, and so he had to go. He was being admitted into the hospital on the peds floor while I was downstairs in surgery. So Bob was with Titus, wow. um, having you know, <laughs> getting him in for antibiotics for a sinus infection, and I was down there alone. So a nurse stayed with me, this lovely nurse, and I was saying we just wanted this baby so much. Please tell me everything you see about this baby during this procedure. Please tell me. Tell me everything. I want to know everything because this was a treasured, very wanted person. And this sweet nurse said, I'm so sorry. I will. And she was crying with me. She was lovely. But I woke up from the procedure, and she was gone. And another nurse was there that was really, oh, just 
so misguided. So mm. I woke up and I said, what was the baby? Was it a boy or a girl? Tell me about it. And she said, there was nothing there. And I said, no. I, and she said, it was, it was tissue. There was nothing. You just need to forget about it. She was really, I'm, I'm sure, trying to do what she thought was best. But right. she was rude and she was awful. And she wouldn't tell me anything about this child. She said that nothing was there. But it wasn't nothing. It was a person that I loved you know, that we wanted. So that was crushing to me, um, crushing. And I came home from the hospital and the phone rang and it was a pathologist that was a loyal participant in all of my fitness classes. She was on duty at the hospital the day of my procedure. Mm. She got my baby. She held the remains of my baby. She called me on the phone to say, I'm so sorry this happened to you because we were friends. I was at her husband's birthday party. Mm -hmm. And so she was able to tell me that um, our baby was a little girl and that she had Down syndrome. And and she was a person of faith. So I know that she prayed holding my child in her hand. So it was such a beautiful thing. And I actually Mm -hmm. had asked her, I said, please sketch what you remember our child looked like so we have that of our baby and it remains i that was a in the midst of that pain what a touch from god Hmm. so during that time period people in church as you know pastor um bring food and so Hmm. people were bringing meals and helping out and two different people on two different occasions said the lord told me to give you this bible verse which automatically, I am sorry to say, was, <laughs> oh, isn't that sweet? I'm sorry for the reaction that I yeah, had yeah, when yeah, they yeah. said that. But <laughs> anyway, yeah. and so the verse was Jeremiah 29, 11, mm. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans mm. to help you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. And I appreciated their heart, mm-hmm. but I thought, God didn't tell you that. You know, <laughs> the baby's dead. How lovely. There is mm, no hope. And right. after that, it was so painful. Bob and I decided no more children, which was a sad decision. But that loss, oh, that was so sharp for all of us. My daughter didn't really get over it for Isabel. a lot of years, yeah. Isabel. But I'll tell you, the Lord brought healing there. But she didn't because she had wanted, she knew it was going to be a girl. She'd been oh, praying for a sister. And yeah. I mean, we didn't know it was a girl until after she had passed away. But when Isabel found out, it, it's just really, it was an event yeah. in her life, you know, in all of our lives. So we healed. We moved on. We were um, happy. We were, God God was good. And that event with um, the pathologist met such a need mm. that was, and it was such a miracle you know, that she called me. It was just so right. beautiful. Right. So at any rate, we were driving down the road. We were going on a fossil hunt, homeschool family, listening to worship music. Let's do it. And <laughs> there's a song, God of Wonders. And so I was yep. praying while I was singing. And I said, precious Lord, reveal your heart to me. I sang it. We're yeah. all happy. And then I nearly wrecked the car because Whoa. this thing happened. And remember, I'm the one that in my head sort of mocked you're suspicious of, of yes yeah. suspicious i didn't mean to that but i was like right but he really did put that in their heads so yeah. now that this thing i can't say that it was an audible voice i can't describe what it was but it went into my whole head in a very disturbing way and it was it just foster adopt down syndrome child because the thing that i 
forgot to mention is that the little girl, did I mention that she had you Down did. syndrome? Yeah, oh, did. good. So um, I thought, oh my gosh, perhaps it was an undigested bit of cheese, as C.S. Mm. Lewis would say. Mm. And I called my husband. I said, honey, the most disturbing thing just happened to me. I was praying, and then foster adopt a Down syndrome child came into my head. What do we do? And I said, maybe it's just repressed grief or something. And he said, we have to act on it because if it's not his will, God will protect us from it. Wow. But if it is his will, we have to step up. Wow. Now, at this time, my husband had a really wonderful job. Mm-hmm. We lived a really nice well, Let me life. just, that's a grown man comment right there. It was. Man. He's a good man. That's awesome. But the next morning, it was with trembling hands, yeah. I called the county. Because I thought, oh no, I didn't. Re- I didn't want to do this, yeah, David. But yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just thought I'd better. So I called the county and said, "Do you have a need for foster or adoptive parents of children with Down syndrome?" And again, it the was so blows up. God. No, <laughs> this woman was so offended. She says, "Well, the offended. person, yes, she said, what? the person you need to speak with isn't here. She's on vacation. Oh, but I can gee. tell you, absolutely not. You can't choose your disability." Oh wow! She unequivocally shut the door with county adoption. I mean, I just—it was like slam. So I said, Oops. "Okay, <laughs> you know, two-parent family with an at-home mom. You don't want, you know, it was just." But I—I I knew. I mean, she just didn't even want to talk to me. She wow. didn't even want to take my name. She was like. Ugh offended that I suggested such a thing. So I said, okay. That you were so specific. Yeah. So we went online and we're looking and there was a little girl in Guatemala named Lucy who was four. Um, And so we had been going through contacting every adoption agency we could find, but it clearly wasn't what God said. They were saying, no, we don't have any, there's no need for anything like that, but, Hmm. you know, pay $2,000 and then you're on our list and you have our (laughs) home study. And I thought, no, the Lord did not tell me that. I'm not doing that. But there was a not-for-profit and there was a little girl named Lucy in Guatemala. And so we're moving forward thinking, Lucy in Guatemala, and of course, th- that voice did not come back, hmm. by the way. That voice never came back. But um, Lucy in Guatemala was terrified of other children, and we had four. So right. I knew Lucy in Guatemala wasn't right. the one. So we were just, uh, there was we, a pop-up came, and it said, Bethany Christian Services, and it was a Christian adoption agency. And so I said, okay, I'll make one more call, because we really diligently were searching, but not receiving any encouragement. And so I called, and this lovely woman said, you know, we don't have a need right now, but I'll pray for you, and Mm. I'm going to write your name on my desk calendar here and your phone number. So if anything comes up, it's jotted right here on my desk calendar. Mm. It was one of those big (laughs) desk calendars. So I said, okay, thanks. (laughs) So several weeks passed, and I thought, I've got the blessing now of being (laughs) obedient, but I don't have to do anything. So... Then the phone rang, and um, I answered it, and, and, and she said, Angela, this is Marlene from Bethany Christian Services, and we have a situation. We have a need. Are you still interested? And I waited for the voice, and it was still silent, and so I said, yes. And she said, we're going to send you the packet. May I send you this packet in the mail? And I said, yes. So then the packet came, and I was I called the pastor at church and said, I am I don't know what to do. God, the, their voice hasn't come back. I've got no <laughs> guidance. I don't know what to do. I need to know that this is from God in order to move forward on it. And I'm opening this packet, and I'm so worried. And then the letterhead on the stationery was Jeremiah 29, 11. Oh. So I had also um, called and had my name written on that desk calendar on the day 
that the baby had been born before he even needed a family because our the little one had been um privately adopted and they didn't catch the down syndrome until he was born um she the, the mom had very late prenatal care and he had cataracts, so he was going to need surgery. Oh, so he had been abandoned in the hospital by the adoptive parents, but his wow. birth grandma was there, and and uh, the hospital social worker had been an employment, and she had worked for this adoption agency, lost her job there, and gone to work in the hospital. But when she saw Davis, who is our, our baby, mm. this baby's situation was so sad. She said, you know what? We should call Bethany Christian Services and not go through the county. Because, wow. And the grandma agreed to that. So wow. that's how our little Davis came. So and, was yeah. so there was an adoptive family, and then when they found out about the Down syndrome, they just... They left. They just They left him off. at the hospital. Wow. Um, and they, you know, they struggled, but they left after one day. It was a, I'm not saying they didn't struggle with it, but they left him. Yeah. But the funny thing is, here's another funny thing about God. Um, so Bethany Christian Services works very closely with the birth mothers in the process. And so this birth mother wanted a um, family with very young parents with no more than one child in the home. <laughs> well, I was 40 <laughs> and had four, but the, the, the grandma said, you've got to choose this family, and they did Aww. choose us. So anyway, that's Davis Jeremiah Ward. Davis Jeremiah, Davis. of and course. Just God is so good. Davis um, shouldn't have lived. Hmm. He, when we... Oh, this is just such a good story. But when we went to get Davis, I had just been saying repeatedly to the social workers, the only thing that I can't do is medically fragile because my powers requires so much right. care. Retardation I am fine with. Right. But he ha- he, and they said, oh, he's so healthy, no worries. And the instant I met Davis, and of course was his mother, fell in love with him, um, I knew that he was not healthy. He it actually had been diagnosed with failure to thrive, and he had real trouble breathing, which mm. I recognized immediately. But I was still nursing Titus at this time, and I was determined that I was going to nurse this little baby because breast milk is the best thing you can give a child. It just can't be replicated. Um, anyway, that's important not to be... <laughs> not to be give you too much information, but yeah, it's yeah. just part of the story. Sure. So I was determined, and the social worker said, don't even talk about that. That's really, you're lucky that I was a breastfeeding mom. They're going to think you're weird. You cannot talk about that. Mm. So just remember that. So I met Davis, and um, it was very touching and poignant, but I knew he was ill. I could hear his breathing because I knew what bad breathing sounded like because of my child number two, who couldn't breathe for four years and was on a nebulizer treatment and had you know reactive airway disease. I recognized it in Davis immediately. And they said, here, give him a bottle. And Davis couldn't, he had no suck reflex because of his, he had hypotonia, his Down syndrome. Mm. So this milk is pouring down his chin. And I thought, he's going to die. He's going to die. I I don't know how to take care of him. I've never given a child a bottle in my life. Four kids, no bottles. So at any rate... Um, the next day he still hadn't been able to, you know, have a bottle or he, he just, I saw what was happening when I fed him or when other people fed him. And so there we all were with the social worker and everybody. And I just said, excuse me, 
lifted up my shirt, stuck Davis on, <laughs> and he nursed for four and a half hours. Oh, wow. And it turns out that saved his life wow. because when he went to the pediatrician, I said, I recognize what's going on with his lungs, and we won't get on a plane unless you give me a nebulizer and the right, steroids right, right. and the pediatrician. We got the tests that confirmed that what I said was right, and it's not about me, but it's only because the You've suffering that I've seen it. To, right. Yeah, so we get him. And he has, um, he can't swallow. He has swallowing difficulties. But it took some time to get those diagnoses. Well, when you breastfed a baby, when you, you didn't give water. When you breastfeed, they don't need water because it's the perfect combination. And so Davis, even breastfeeding, everything was going into his lungs. But I was later told that had he been bottle fed, he probably would have died because I would have been giving him water, which would have gone into his lungs in right. a much greater volume huh. and killed him. Wow. So it was, you know, that's, those are just miracles. Like yeah. this child, we got Davis when he was eight pounds, but he's a child with Down syndrome and he was 12 weeks old, but he was able to nurse. Wow. So he was failure to thrive when we got him. I'd never seen such a thin baby. It was so poignant, but so Davis came into our home in that way, and so we called them our bookends, Davis and Powers, because we had two healthy ones in the middle, but our bookends right. had really unusual needs yeah. and lives. But everybody fell in love with Davis, and Davis is adored by all of us. My children adore Davis every bit of who he is and if there's any um, compassion or I think that there is my children are extremely compassionate extremely mature they're not silly um, they're extremely tolerant they embrace diversity um, they're very forward-thinking and those are attributes that they got from the Lord having brought Davis into our family. You cannot teach compassion, honestly, deeply by going on a mission trip where you're also eating out or going to the movies and having a great time. I don't mean to get, I'm sorry if I'm no, treading no, no. controversial ground, Go. but compassion is, is best taught by having to really be compassionate when you don't want to be and when there's no reward at the end of it and when it doesn't go away I mean so that and it wasn't something that I wanted so I'm not praising myself but Davis just stole our hearts he just stole us and it wasn't this rainbow hallmark movie channel experience either because Davis was constantly in the hospital one year we spent more than 12 weeks in the hospital, and I was with him. So my kids would wake up, and I'm not there. There's somebody from church that they know and that they know and love. I mean, our church was just so mm. good to us. The power of the church cannot be Amen. overestimated. We cannot do it without church. We mm. wouldn't have done it without the church. We couldn't have because not only did our pastors and each adoption experience recommend us, but our church walked beside us and supported us. We wouldn't have made it in any way without our church. So, but that's still frightening for yeah. kids to wake up and this little baby that you love is gone and your Mom's mom is gone, gone and yeah. everything's disrupted. And in ways they, I think, matured 
too fast mm. in other ways. And, you know, so, so I don't mean to make it sound like everything was easy and wonderful because it definitely wasn't. And when Davis was um, <clears throat> maybe five years old, oh, a- anyway, it was the big recession. I think it was 2009, 2011. Yeah. So 2008, 2009. Yeah. Uh, for, <laughs> but the effects are still, we're still <laughs> 2020, feeling. Yeah. <laughs> but during that, so my husband, uh, everything, we, we lost everything. Wow. Everything. You, and you'd said you had a really profound. good job. And oh, gosh, I mean, yes. We were taking care of that we were, many kids. Yeah, we, beautiful, home, beautiful home. I stayed home. Everything was great. But uh, Jess lost Everything and even in the, the you know we lost everything wow. everything everything, um, so it was that was a really really rough time, um, in our lives and in our marriage, and and for our kids too. So because we still had these two you know beautiful but medically fragile kids and mm-hmm. at any rate and so that is actually why I resumed teaching um when I when see. my kids were little I did some adjunct work um at some a university and some colleges and things things that I could work in for pleasure so mm-hmm. to speak but it was I was an at-home mom but when we just sort of switched non-voluntarily we switched careers but thank goodness the Lord brought me a job at a beautiful Christian school. They wanted a Shakespeare teacher, and I'm passionate about Shakespeare. Yes, and they scholarship to my kids. Yeah. And so awesome. At any rate, it was always hard, but but we were blessed, and I knew the work I was doing in Christian school was really, really important. And, and my kids were still with me, and I had a, a Manny for Davis. <laughs> I gave like pretty much half my salary to Davis's caregiver, but mm. well worth it, keeping him safe because he was medically fragile, and we didn't want to put him in public school a terrible but little known fact is that medically fragile and special needs kids are not exempt from truancy laws so Hmm. your medically fragile child can still be declared truant you can still be brought before a judge it's really a problem that I'd like to tackle sometime at the the legislative level so in my in my spare time I really listening to this is interesting (laughs) let's do it let's lobby I really want to I'm dead serious yeah yeah at any rate so (laughs) all that is to say the Lord has been good to us and the reason I shared that we lost everything is because one day I went into work and I was very private about it because it's very embarrassing and perhaps that's pride, but it is embarrassing to lose everything and have nothing. I mean, we didn't, I didn't even have a car. I was riding my son's, my 11 year old's bicycle to work, rain or shine. I mean, or I was walking. I mean, we hit bottom, but I tried to hide it. Anyway, at one point, the vice principal came up to me and we had to, we were in a terrible situation. We were renting a terrible place and we had to get out and I had like a week to find a place to live but we had no savings and but I didn't tell anyone any of this but the principal the vice principal came up and said you know the Lord told me to do this and so you just have to take it and I'm sorry it's just it was it's not from the school it was from my Bible study and my church but the Lord told me and I opened it and there was seven thousand dollars in this envelope which got us into a, the sweetest home um first last month's rent in this beautiful home that we loved and did not deserve and it was a three-bedroom home and our kids have always shared rooms and i believe in it and studies show that children who share rooms have good people skills and blah 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 (laughs) but at any rate i wanted to 
we were so grateful for what God did that I always, and Bob always wanted to show him gratitude for that home because we, it was a true, true miracle. So our daughter, we, child one, powers uh, to go back. He um, got scholarship money. He defied every odd because they told me that he would probably be in a group home and never drive and never go to college. Well, he graduated from college, worked his way through college, bought his truck, has a great career, has a wow. wonderful girlfriend, wow. still is alive by the grace of God, still requires shots, pills, and a nasal spray every single day or he'll die. But he is doing beautifully has wow. a great life Praise so the Lord. technically he's not healed but he's protected and under the blood and with everything that's happened in his life i will be i'll be very peaceful if the lord calls him home mm -hmm. i hope he lives till he's 80 but god has been so good and so present in his life wow. so powers is gone child number two full ride scholarship to a school in new york child number two is now gone mm. and and he's you know, getting ready to graduate from college. Child number three graduates from high school and is on her way to college. And our kids have been very independent because when you have to earn money to make something happen, you find ways to do it. Yeah. So we have this little room that is going to be available. And I did and not want an empty How long bedroom. ago is this? So this was... Uh, three and a half years ago. Okay. So we're almost caught up. We're now. almost caught up in this long story. <laughs> this beautiful so, story. Um, we were sitting there. We had this little empty bedroom. And one day I looked at Bob and he looked at me and I said, honey, I'm feeling like we should adopt another special <laughs> needs child. And Bob just walks away. No, <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Bob looked at me and said, I've been having the same uh, feeling. <laughs> so uh, we wanted to give someone a home that yeah. would not otherwise have a home. And we started to realize for the first time, now I understand why Powers went through what he did. Mm. And now I understand why Davis, the, the funny thing mm. I did not tell you about Davis is I, I just said the one thing that's a deal breaker, I could never do a feeding tube. I could never have a child that needed a feeding tube. I could never do that. And the social worker said, oh, no, no. <laughs> well, Davis got a feeding tube when he was two, so he's... He'll be 15 in June. So I've had a feeding tube 13 years. I know how to change a feeding <laughs> tube. I can do anything required with a feeding tube. It's n no big deal at all. But it's just so funny because that was the one thing I said. But so Bob <laughs> and I, well, I mean, we just yeah. knew now. I mean, we have a wide spectrum of comfort with what some people would consider very invasive medical procedures. Right. And, and thank God for feeding tubes. It is not in my mind, artificial life support because Davis just needs a different way to get nutrients. Yeah. And now he's eating. So thank goodness that our medical system didn't just throw him away because now he does eat and mm -hmm. drink. He still has his feeding tube, but if he needs it. But anyway, so we realized we do have an unusual and talent. I mean, the first is just being willing, but all this pain and suffering equipped us to be parents again to an, an unusual population of, you know, of children. So mm -hmm. at any rate, but the funny thing is that um, we really didn't qualify because our house wasn't big enough mm. because um, according to California state law, we stepped up and we actually Googled, this is embarrassing, but I was like, let's Google. And so we Googled 
like adopt special needs child, San Bernardino County, California, mm -hmm. and up came this thing called the Heart Gallery. And so there were little videos, and there was this video of this beautiful little girl, and she was two. And I went, I want her. She's so <laughs> cute. She's so cute. And so Bob said, she is cute. Let's go for her. Her name was Alicia. So we signed up with the county um, to go to all the training, and we told them we want Alicia from the Heart Gallery. And, <clears throat> excuse me, but we really didn't qualify. We're going through the classes, and the trainer said, oh, unfortunately, you don't qualify because everyone has to have their own room, and you can't have a child in the bedroom with you. Well, Davis shares a bedroom with us because he has severe sleep apnea, and he's on a machine, and if the machine mm -hmm. comes unplugged, Davis could smother. So Davis shares a room with sure. us. But the doctor wrote a letter. Anyway, we didn't qualify on several levels, but... For some reason, they just made exceptions at every step of and the way. And now you're going through the county, or not the county, a private right. Christian no, adoption we service. No, because we didn't have any money for that. Right. So, and but but you know what? Many Christian adoption agencies offer really generous grants. It's just that we right. Didn't you mentioned this to it. me when we, we talked about at that previously. time. We didn't yeah. have any need for it, and right, so right, we were happy right. to. No but problem. they do offer grants, very generous. So generous don't shut grants. that door. No, walk yeah. right through it because the <laughs> yeah. help will be there for you. <laughs> yeah, amen. Walk right through it. Okay. At any rate, um, but and but we had a great experience with the county. Also, we had a very wonderful experience. Our social worker was a Christian. Not everyone that we met was Christian, but they were people that were certainly used by God that were serving a really underserved population, and so. We went through these classes together, and Alicia, um, she had been abandoned at, at birth. Not, um, you know, and I don't want to reveal too much of her story. Sure. That wouldn't. I want to protect her privacy. But at any rate, she um, had been adopt, foster adopted, and then at six months old, when her condition was diagnosed, she was given back but had had a wonderful first six to eight months of life, very well loved by a beautiful Christian family who honestly felt that they couldn't, they, they couldn't do it. I mean, they wrestled with it, and I believe it was God's plan because I'm her mama, and that's that. So no judgment. They mm -hmm. gave her this beautiful life that made her very well adjusted. And then she went into a, medically, um, fra a home for medically fragile babies, where she kind of languished for a while. But when we were going through these classes, and we, every time we, we came in contact with anyone, we're going for Alicia, we're going for Alicia, and Alicia had found a home. Hmm. They said, oh, Alicia has been, you know, Alicia's not available anymore. One of, uh, one of our workers is taking Alicia. So we were so sad about that, but we'd only seen her in a video. We didn't know anything about her, but right. we thought, okay, God, who do you have for us? We're just going to finish this process. So we did, and then um, three or four months later, we're still, the process takes a long time, the social worker said, Elysia is available again, and I can tell you things about her. Wow. So two families had... Gave up. Yeah. yeah. So um, Alicia is amazing. Alicia is phenomenal. When we met her, it was a beautiful God moment because the social worker said the same thing that Davis's social worker had said. Um, when I met Davis, Davis had not made eye contact with anybody. He hadn't 
but when he saw me, he and I were in our own little world, and he looked at me and smiled, in spite of the fact that he was legally blind with no lenses in his eyes. Wow. And the social worker cried and said, I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen a connection like that in my life. Well, when Bob and I met Elysia, the social worker did the same thing. She said the same words. I've never seen a connection like that in my life. And Elysia, um, her story, the reason that the, the second placement didn't work out is because Elysia loves to eat. But Elysia has severe spastic quadriplegia and cerebral palsy. So for Elysia to feed herself, it's mm. very messy and it's very disturbing because she'll choke, too. Mm. But Elysia loves food. <laughs> loves food. She adores to eat. She yeah, just adores yeah. it. But yeah. she was all packed up to move out of the group home. The people were coming to take her away. And the phone rang. And it was the hospital to schedule a feeding tube placement. And the person that ran the group home said, absolutely not. You can't do this. It's her biggest joy in life. She called the oh, county and the social workers. Her, yeah. And they put a stop to it. Wow. And they told the family, you know, you just, just when she will eat with you, then take her. But she can't get a feeding tube because she loves, she this doesn't need one. This is what she loves. Yeah. And so it was, it, the family made a choice not to walk through the process of just. Sounded like too so, much probably. Right. Yeah. So with us, they wanted to make sure that Alicia would eat with us because she uses food as a control and she wouldn't eat with anybody. She hmm. wouldn't eat with that family. She would eat with her caregivers at the group Interesting. home, you know, but yeah. so she ate like a little piggy with us. <laughs> it took some time, but yeah. Alicia, so she came home three years ago and she is six and she is amazing. She's brilliant. Um, she's phenomenal. And, and she is in, a wheelchair and has the severest form of spastic quadriplegia that you can have. You had told me um, that how it was important to you, especially at this point, um, that your kids also want to adopt. That you uh, moving forward because you already had this big family. Yes. That your kids were on board because you and your husband obviously got all these skills, got all you know, feel this confidence, you know, and then feel this like desire. Um, what about your kids? Is it that they're kind of Grown up, growing up, almost there. Two of them are gone. Um, maybe a third, almost or whatever. But what's that conversation look like? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because it's important. Davis was really a family baby. Yeah. I mean, he, the family all helped take care of right, him. Right, right. And we would never have moved forward with Alicia if it were not a family decision. Okay. So we brought our kids into the decision. And I will tell you, I don't think he would mind me sharing this, but. Titus was only, he was 14 at the time. And so Ellie, we would visit her, and it was disturbing to see her in the, 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 the home. It was a beautiful place, but it's filled with little people that need love and need families and that don't have them. They have these beautiful caregivers, but it's not a home. Yeah. And Ellie is extremely disabled if, if on the surface. And, you know, I mean, well, not on the surface. She's extremely disabled. So Titus was fine, our fourth son, our youngest biological son. He, she, he was fine with the weekend visits, which were hard. But when we really found out that it was really happening and it was going to happen soon, he felt like it was, he, he got cold feet. Mm. And he didn't, he had, he had really strong reservations about it, partially because of what he'd been through in his own childhood. Yeah. Um, 
And so we actually had to call the social worker and say, I'm sorry, we need to pause because we have to take care of our, our 14-year-olds. We can't move ahead with it if our 14-year-old isn't comfortable with it. And it, we didn't want him shamed. God could be speaking through him. Mm. I mean, so we told Titus, we love you. We hear you, and we are not going to do this if you are not on board, and it is okay. Please know that. We are fine with it. And so she was staying with us, and um, we were, it was a weekend visit, and so we were going to bring her back, and so we were literally going to bring her back and not take her back home if Titus didn't, right. you know, want us to, um, because he was he was feeling so many things and so scared and in the car he was riding with us to take her back and he said i really don't want to i don't want to give her back i want her to stay with us he said mm. we just can't i didn't think you guys would really do this and we said oh my gosh yes you know you god gave us you as well and he knows mm. and it was killing us but we you know but we didn't let Titus see that. Yeah. And so <laughs> it, it's about an hour to the group home. And by the time we got there, he was just crying and saying, no, I don't want to give her up. Please, please. And we prayed about it. And so I literally went inside and talked to the social workers that, and the, the people at the home and, and said, you know, he really has changed his mind. And he, can we please bring her back home with us? And they said, yes. And we brought her back home. And I will tell you, Titus is her favorite. <laughs> um, Titus, she and Titus are, uh, Titus is with her right this minute while I'm with you. <laughs> Titus adores her. Yeah. He is so proud of her. He carries her around. He, he understands her in a way that none of the rest of us do. Mm. So there's been real healing there, but wow. it was definitely a family decision. You were serious about that. Yes. Yeah. He so, was surprised you how serious you were about yes. it. Yes. <laughs> so definitely wow. a family decision. So here we are, we have six children and we think our quiver is full, but yeah. you know, who knows? You know, we, but yeah, it's, we've, we've been very, very blessed it's still extremely hard. It doesn't mean that it's right. easy, but it's blessed. Yeah. And there we go. Now, I mean, your story is is incredible in so many ways. And it is, I mean, it's just so moving and it's profound and it's, and it's scary. Uh, it's scary to hear it um, because you, you hear what people can be called to do. Um, and what people can be made able to do. Um, when you, I, I could, I could feel the person who hears this is like, well, oh my gosh, but she's like, you know, her and Bob, or you know, <laughs> whoever, you know. But like, I mean, even around the school, like people will casually refer to you as uh, like a living saint, and mm -hmm. you know, like you're in this, you're in this rarefied space because none of us can quite fathom being in that space or whatever. Um, and I know that wouldn't work for you to be, no. to be almost put aside out of reverence and no. respect, but distancing normies like us no. from, from the love and the blessing and the beauty of 
caring for, especially in the case of Davis and Ellie, of those who are just overlooked again and again and again and again and again. So if you were to talk to someone who might feel like that, like, wow, what a story, and maybe they're in tears and they're, you know, but it just feels like, wow, I just am not, no way. There's just no way. Um, What would you, how would you approach that person or how would you um, share your heart uh, for adoption in general, maybe adoption of special needs kids in particular? Um, Because you said at the very beginning, it's your testimony, but it's also, you said your mission. So how would you respond to that person who would be afraid and thinking this just is amazing, but, uh, right. (laughs) I will tell you, I mean, first of all, I am the one that set the popcorn on fire in the microwave at school. Just the other day. Yes. Oh man, you almost took us all out. Yes, I did. So (laughs) I am, I'm, I'm so, I'm so Bob and I are just so flawed and so under equipped for Mm. life in so very many ways. And so, um, Ooh, and so not good in many ways. So we'll set that aside, okay. having dealt with that. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> uh, it's a hard, well, it's an intersection at the cross, seeing the big cross behind you. Because someone told me this, he doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And perhaps it's better not to be equipped to do it because you see him mm more clearly when there's no other explanation because you know this isn't you. Um, and I know that it's true that it takes many hands. And it, I mean, in the, bo- in, in the body, the body has many parts. And so, you know, on the one hand, maybe not everyone's called to do that. But on the other hand, there is a real crisis in our country. There's a, an international crisis. For Pete's sakes, in Europe, people with Down syndrome aren't allowed to breathe. And you, you can't know what you don't know. But anything good in me, really, for the anything good in recognizing simple beauty, anything patient in me, anything preternatural good in me. I really want to credit to Powers illness, but not really because I really didn't appreciate it or learn what I should have, but I learned it from Davis. Davis is magic. Davis is, oh my goodness. People with Down syndrome are human beings. They're human. They're not perfect, but I'll tell you one thing. They're better human beings as far as Christian virtues than Christians are. Mm. And I'm sorry, that's a fact, Jack. They just don't hold grudges. And yes, gosh, I'm making a sweeping accusation, which could be bigoted in some <laughs> eyes. But, I, you know, the other thing is, is it's very, very sad because when they're gone, you simply won't know. You won't know. And, and we will be we are dehumanizing ourselves by um, insulating ourselves against those that we think of as less than. And it's very scary. Our, hu- our ability to form human relationships is, is being damaged right now because of 
the selective abortion of those that are less than or because of the fact that, you know, why? Why do I never see anybody with Down syndrome? We, we have a Down syndrome group, and it's so, so sadly small. And, and so I, I grieve for people that are afraid. If you are, a, I grieve, fear is false evidence appearing real, according to Rick Warren, Saddleback Church. <laughs> but, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes you should be afraid of the fire because it's going to burn <laughs> your hand to cinders. But if it's God's plan for your hand to be burned to cinders, then stick it in and smile, right? But all I'm saying is that he, um, th- there is a crisis that the Bible talks very specifically about what you do for the least of these you do for me. And so why do we as Christians, why, why do we not bring disabled kids into our home? We're all disabled in some way or another. And the, the reality about foster children is that there is grave harm done but love over love overcomes a multitude of sins. But even if you, so adoption is a wonderful and important thing, but you can't think because you're adopting a healthy child that you're safe from complications because there's danger and there's risk everywhere. And I didn't ever plan to adopt, and I had no affinity for special needs at all. I want you to know with my four pregnancies, I prayed that, that wouldn't have Down syndrome. Mm. By the fifth, I didn't care. It just wasn't an issue, which is interesting because mm. she had Down syndrome. Right. And I lost her, and I told God I would have loved her. And I knew in my heart I would have. Yeah. Um, so I think that what does, what does carrying our cross mean? What does our, very, what does our very Christianity mean? What does it mean if we know that there are these children that need love and that are human beings, that's the key, is that we're dehumanizing them. We're not thinking about them. It's too hard. And maybe for some people it means prayer, but maybe it also means a call to action for other people. You said, um, I think when I balked a little bit at that part of your story and your your mission, um, you know, I think I said, oh, well, we have these like, you know, we have like these three little babies, you know, so it's, it's a lot right now, you know, we're, we're, we're interested, we want to be praying about it. And, um, and you kind of pushed and, and I think you said something like, oh, look, at the end of the day, these kids are already there somewhere. They, they already exist. They're already living somewhere. These kids who need homes, they're, they're not waiting for all of us to be ready to come into the world that they already are there waiting somewhere that they already exist. And, and that was, I mean, you know, <laughs> again, I'd like to have you on the podcast to, ch- to tell your story. You know, it gives me another episode to post. It's very powerful and everything like that, but it would be easier if I didn't have to like deal with it myself. <laughs> if I could say, Oh, look world, you know, like deal with Angela's story. You know, maybe you guys should be praying about this. But what I so appreciate about when we did talk about this is, and when I was asking you questions, is you didn't let me off the hook either. And 
and and you're the sweetest person in the world so it's like feels like a real hook um you know what, <laughs> but, if I could, can i just say yeah something? here's the thing that i need to be really honest about okay. please is that god it if it didn't if it, he put it in us he made it appealing to us and i think right. that's part of it so right I, I mean when i i was scared and i didn't want to it scared me to death and i i put up all these you know, obstacles like I could never do a feeding tube and he's not sickly, you know, and of ha ha, he was, you know, <laughs> he remains sickly. But anyway, he's, he's everything to me. And then when I met him, I fell so hopelessly in love with him. I mean, he changed our heart with it. And so I know I sound militant, but it's so easy and that's wrong. And well, so it may be, the call may be yeah. prayer, and you may not be called to do it. Because I think if you are called to do it, you will have a conviction, or you'll step forward and he'll protect you from it. Yeah. And I think if as Christians we we remember that, that he is our Abba, and he has us, he encircles us. He goes in front of us, and he goes behind us, and he's also beside us. So that means he surrounds us. And so... Yes. Let him protect us from it, yes, if that's but really he'll something. protect you. Right. I believe he'll protect you. And, yeah. and, and the reason we've had, I think, such an unusual story is probably because... I really had too much concern and, I don't know, ambition for worldly success and for worldly. I mean, so we've had to learn lessons in difficult, difficult ways, perhaps because we've been difficult to teach. But for everybody else, it might not be that way. Mm. But it is like I it is it's hard. I won't lie but I'm so grateful and I'm a different human being and I think I love better I know I'm I know that my my children have only benefited and it's so poignant because Isabel um, waited how many years for her sister she Hmm. never stopped praying for a sister she never stopped praying for a sister and she is 20 it was 2005 that we lost our baby. So from 2005 up until three years ago, I mean, she she mm. just never stopped praying for a sister, and so now she has her sister. And they're sharing a room, and Ellie has a screaming problem. Um, she she has, I mean, literally, yeah, we yeah. said we could not have a child with really, this is funny, and other, we, they, you fill there out you a go. form as to what you <laughs> can have and can't have, and we said we cannot have a destructive behavior because of Davis in our home. Right. We can't have destructive behavior. And they wrote back and said, well, Elysia has a screaming <laughs> uh, problem, which could be destructive. And we thought, eh, screaming, we can do screaming, and we can do screaming. It's well <laughs> worth it, but that doesn't mean it doesn't make you want to scream when she screams. <laughs> so, you know, but we would all as a family not trade any of it. Yeah. We look at Ellie and we see the face of God. It's uh, let's conclude with Les Mis. When you love another person, you see the face of God. And what does it mean? So I'm sure not everybody is called to do it. I'm sure that's true. I want everybody to be called to do it because I think there are like 400,000 orphans. We don't call them orphans because they're in foster care, but Mm. that's not the same by any stretch. 
there are there are, there are homeless children who want to be loved and who want a mom and dad. It honors me so much. This kind of makes me cry. I'm not going to, but only because I'm struggling hard not to. I'm so unworthy to be Ellie's mom. I I lie about my age. I make jokes about my age, but I'm 56 and she's six. And that she could, the love that she has for me and the way that she looks at me when I'm this essentially very humble 56-year-old woman, but she claims me for her mama and I'm her favorite in the world. And that's how they would feel about any parent. Mm. Um, so that also tells you the need. This gorgeous little sweetheart has a mommy and a daddy that are 56 and 59. A little <laughs> Sarah and Abraham story there. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll conclude with that line we started with. The exclusion of the weak and insignificant, the seemingly useless people from everyday Christian life in community may actually mean the exclusion of Christ. Angela, thank you so much for sharing your heart and sharing your family. It is an honor, um, not one I take for granted. I know it's a blessing to anyone who hears it, and I know that the Lord is doing great things, obviously, not only in your very large, beautiful family, but in everyone who is touched by you, your work at the school, and all your kids. I just know one of them well, and he's just the sweetest, smartest, most talented, most kind person uh, walking around campus you are too um, kind to all of us but thank you i agree about titus thank yeah, you <laughs> amen go titus go um so thank you so much for taking this time and for sharing all of those things and honestly i look forward to seeing what the lord would do with this with this um, testimony that has become a mission thank you thank you david and zach thank you so much for joining us today everybody if you found any of this interesting, we do hope you will share the podcast, that you will rate us on iTunes with those five sweet stars, and, and that you will subscribe, and that you will tell your friends and your neighbors and your relatives and your mother Lois to subscribe, and your sweet, sweet grandmother, old grandmother Eunice. Eunice should definitely subscribe. Until next time, may you live well think well, and love well. Godspeed.